Hello and welcome to the Fight Like a Girl podcast. Today I had the great fortune to sit down to speak to Sarah Jones, who is a purple belt under Trevor Birmingham at Exile Gym. Um, We discuss her career in jiu-jitsu and uh, I think we focus a bit more on her uh, competitive career than her um, like regular training and all of the ups and downs that have come with that um it was a really great conversation and yeah i hope you all enjoy right so thank you very much for sitting down and talking to me literally sitting down i like sitting down <laughs> honestly the closer i am to the ground the better <laughs> uh, um so yeah i kind of just wanted to catch up with you to talk about your uh career in jiu-jitsu so I'll start off where I start off with everyone else, and that is, how did you get into jiu-jitsu? Like, was there anything that brought you into it, and is it the first sport that you've done? Um, I think my career in jiu-jitsu uh, stems back to um, sport that I used to do before that, um, was Muay Thai. So I originally stumbled into Muay Thai through my friend Amy. Um, when I was based in Northern Ireland and uh, I was training and then and then uh, I was like really local gym like one of those rough and, and ready like <laughs> like just in someone's garage uh, yeah it was pretty much it didn't have the best facilities and then they were like oh um, we've got some MMA classes and I was like oh that'll be good so I started going to a few of them the and Mother's then, Meeting Association. Pardon? The Mother's Meeting Association. <laughs> no? Well, I couldn't really tell them that I was military, so I had to, like, just make up... Ah, like, yeah. Who I was. Yeah. <laughs> um, but and then my friend Amy, she was like, oh, yeah, I do this sport, but it was like... She's, like, really hush-hush about it. She's like, yeah, you do all these, like, strangles and stuff like that. And I was like, oh, okay then. And then she took me along to the class, and I was like oh, this is really good, and then obviously I had an MMA fight coming up, and so I kind of needed that for, like, experience anyway, because mm-hmm. the girl that's fighting was a, a judo black belt, and it's quite a puncher. But, uh, yeah, and then I just got into that, and then decided that I actually liked doing that more than, like, my stand-up. I still continued with my stand-up and, like, yeah. MMA and all that, but... Um, I'd only been doing it three months before I threw myself into my first competition. So that's pretty dope. Yeah, that was like the Surrey Open, and then I literally got tapped out so many times. But I came out thinking, oh my god, yeah, I'm gonna, gonna do it again. Like after three months, literally. Mm. Like I had like a similar thing when I started, because like like most people now. Actually, no, that's a lie. Like, a lot of people get into it through, like, MMA gyms, specific gyms. So you'll do, like, a, a Thai class and a Jiu-Jitsu class. And then, like, people progress from there. And, like, I did ju- I did two Thai classes, and I was like, fuck that. Fuck all of that. Like, most of it was conditioned. I was like, no, no, I just want to lie down and grab <laughs> people. <laughs> like, that's more my pace. That's more my speed. Um, I, like, I don't know. But yeah, I kind of enjoyed that aspect of it too, so that's fun. So, 
you were doing it initially for an MMA class. So how how long were you doing MMA, and did you fight professionally? Um, no, so um, like I said, I was based over in Northern Ireland. Um, when I was in the military, uh, I kind of got into it over there. So I started in about 2014 doing MMA. Um, so I fought out of heat um, MMA in Northern Ireland and then went to fight out of Rodney Moore's gym um, and that was Next Generation, that was in Ballymena. Um, so they've got like the likes of Bruce McKee and all that on <coughs> Bama and stuff like that at the moment um, and Storm and Norman who was on UFC. Um, so I went and trained with them. I only had like four MMA fights. So yeah, my record was one and three. But like I kind of looked at it like the girls that I lost to, they were legit fighters. Mm. Like yeah. and apart from the first one where I fought against uh Leah McCourt, um she subbed me first round in the armbar. So that was my first ever MMA, MMA fight with her. Um and then the other girls that I lost to, it all went to decision. So I couldn't really complain because they were all high caliber athletes themselves and they all had different backgrounds and that. Um, and then along with my MMA fights, I also done like two tie fights um, and then a couple of K1 fights. And then I fought professionally at K1, um, but never fought pro at MMA. Mm. Um, Sounds like a lot of fun. It was, yeah. I think sometimes I still do miss getting punched in the face. I think like I was a lot less angry when I was able to punch people in the face mm. than, as opposed to just being able to strangle people now instead. So yeah. Yeah, strangling's more tiring, but you you don't get to work through the frustration <laughs> yeah. as much. <laughs> like there's something to be said for just smacking something. Yeah. <laughs> so um. So you trained your first jiu-jitsu class uh, at your Thai gym? Yeah, so my first jiu-jitsu class was at uh, Next Generation Yeah. Um, in Barmina in Northern Ireland. Um, and yeah, like I say, that was really good. I, I really enjoyed it. Mm. Um, and then from there, I just done, I just done like one session a week. Mm. And then um, at the time I was uh, moving back over to to here, so um, my husband Mike started scouting jiu-jitsu gyms and then stumbled across this one because it mm. had like really good, well, class at yeah. the time. It, I was more focused on like MMA and stuff yeah. like that, so I needed a gym that done everything. And being uh, down south, there was there wasn't very many MMA specific gyms at the time. I mean, there's more up and coming now, but. Yeah when I needed it. it was only yeah. This, this uh, XL gym was the only gym like south that had decent like mm. classes that I needed to drink for. So yeah, it was just came to this one and I've been here what like five, six years now? On and off. So had a year break where I went to a different gym to train. Um, oh a little bit of Creole Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Um 
So who is it that you um, you train under? Like so, um, Trevor Berman is who I train under. So his background, um, so he's judo black belt. Um, I believe he was on like the judo national team when he was younger and like sport jiu-jitsu and he's quite widely known in the jiu-jitsu community. Mm. Probably mainly for his hair more than other things. <laughs> uh, no, but yeah, so I train under Trev. Um, he competes uh, quite regularly as well, so he's mm. always on the competition circuit and all that. Um, and then, yeah, so he has two classes, you know, three classes a week here uh, at well, and then he takes two classes in Andover at um, another place called Kayukan. MMA, so because we live near Andover, we mm. can go to both. So. Yeah, that's pretty cool. So, how long into your uh, like study in Jiu Jitsu did you think I like this and like you wanted to compete professionally? Well, I say professionally, like because um, you, you're quite active. In yeah. competition at the moment. So, what made you want to take the competition aspect of the sport more seriously? Like, was there ever a point where you were like, I need to compete? <laughs> um, <laughs> you get really petulant. About uh, so, like, I was doing it three months and throwing myself into competition. Mm. Uh, literally from there, um, even though I was training in MMA, I was still very active doing jiu jitsu. Mm. Um, which I think is why my MMA career never really took <laughs> off the ground because I was good at striking and good at groundwork, but I could never mesh the two together until I found wrestling later on. Mm. Um, but I mean, when I wasn't training MMA, I was always like going to competitions. I mean, through all the way from when I was white belt up until um, blue belt. I was competing every weekend. Sometimes every other weekend. So like in a month, I'd have what, like four or five competitions? Yeah, four or five competitions. And I mean, at the time, like I was just like, yeah, this is great, I'm competing. And I didn't really see the detrimental effect that it was having like mm. on my health and my training. Um, I'd just compete and then I'd be back in the gym in the yeah. week. But then I'd have enough competition, so I wasn't allowing myself to really have that rest time mm. between or any learning time because yeah. when you're competing that much, you don't you're constantly really, sharpen your A game. Yeah, you don't get time to go through what your professor or coach is teaching during the week because you're thinking, oh, I need to get ready for the next competition and the next competition. And then it almost, well, it did become an obsession because yeah. competing that much. Um, I just enjoyed it. Like, hmm. I mean, me and my husband Mike, we're very. He trains jiu-jitsu as well, um, and we're very two different, like polar opposites. I love competing, hmm. and we'll go out and compete. But how I train in the gym is different to how I compete. Like, yeah, I train shit in the gym. I do it. I'm not really bad. <laughs> so, but when it comes to competition, I know it's just I love that mentality. Whereas like my husband, he does really well in the gym, but. He kind of struggles with the whole competition mindset. It's improving and getting better with the more competitions that he does. Um, but I love competing. He loves training. He likes yeah. doing it as a hobby. But I want to push myself and see how good I can be. Well, yeah. Like I had 
like this is where all of that um, nonsense about me came up like a few years ago because I was just as active as you like at white belt trying to push myself but then like it did become an obsession and like you say you don't learn anything whilst you're doing that because you're constantly doing the same things over and over again even when you're sparring in like regular classes you're like how can I shorten the period from this to this and like you're not taking on anything new and you don't really experiment as much as you should yeah so then I'm like now in the gym I'm completely different like I've had um about a year and a half out from competition like I had Cleos a few weeks ago but before that I was like I just stopped. I was like, I don't want to do the same thing that I've been doing at White Belt because I had the same game for so long that I wanted to do something different. And I don't, I never wanted to be um, one of those, I'm just big, so I can just like roll you to the side and then get like an Americana, which was literally my White Belt career. <laughs> like, Americana, that's it. So now, like, in comp- not in competition, in uh, regular training classes, I'm like, I'm going to start from my back, and I'm actually going to try something. I'm going to try something that I'm, I'm, I suck at, like, super hard. And, um, like, I get so much more out of training now than I ever did when I was focused mm-hmm. on competition. I think, like, it's only now until I've got up to purple belt. Mm-hmm. I say purple belt, like, blue belt leading up to purple belt that I decided that I do need to be a more technical fighter because before, all the way from like white belt up into like blue belt, purple belt, I was like, oh, simple jiu-jitsu. And I love simple jiu-jitsu because it works. And in, in it's what like you revert back to in competition. Like I'm the type of person that will never be a great technical fighter, but mm. I can drill the basics and get the basics. Um, um, but my brain just won't remember like if you show him something fancy I'm not going to pull that off in a competition I'd love to but I'm just not going to because you know but there's a reason that the basics are the basics there's a reason that um, Roger's as good as he is because his whole game is basics and he's just really fucking good at them (laughs) and I think like going around different jiu jitsu gyms as well having Trev as uh, my coach because he's come from a judo background mm. into jiu-jitsu, it's kind of more like hybrid. So we always start from standing. So yeah. from very early on in like my white belt days, um, like I I love. Well, my game is like heavy top game. Yeah. Like I, if I was fighting in a competition and I was on my back, my instant thought would be, you're fucking losing. Like. <laughs> get off your back type thing and I because I was just never any good at it and as I like progressed through I started picking up knee injuries and then there was people telling me that oh you know at this belt you should be doing Delaheva or X guard and Mm. I was like well yes I understand that you should have an understanding of it but I'm never going to use it in my game so and also it just throws my knees out like X guard, Mm. single X, Delaheva like, like I always pick up injuries and my knees dislocate quite a bit. So oh. um I I'll be ha- I'll, I'll drill it in class, but 
I won't go to the extent of being obsessed that I need to have that in my game. So there are, like, I know some people say, oh, you shouldn't pick and choose, like, you should have an overall general knowledge of everything. But, yeah, I mean, I do pick and choose what moves that I do. Because, again, it goes back to in competition. Well, if I understand how to get out of delegate or expert, that's good. But I'm never going to be the one putting someone into it. Yeah, like, when they talk about an understanding, it's more a case of you just need to know what it is mm. like, and feel what it's like to do it so that you can understand how other people get out of it so that you can do it. Like, I don't like it when people tell me what my game should be. Yeah, <laughs> it's so, it is annoying. It's so frustrating. It's, and like, I'm, I'm exactly the same as you, like pressured most of my game. Like, I've... I've really enjoyed moving to RGA because we've got like Mauricio there a lot. Um, well, I've been able to train with Mauricio a few times and like just the seminars that they get and the game that everyone plays there is very pressure heavy and like it just works for me and I like that. And like you say, I don't I don't actively seek out Xcard or Della Huber because for me, I like to get in and apply pressure, and they're not really pressure passes and shit. Um, but uh, what was I going to say? I had like a really nice point to make, <laughs> and then I just started talking shit. <laughs> but um, oh yeah, Trev, is he like is he um, on the globetrotter scene as well? No. No. No, you're there is a guy that looks like him with curly hair. Yeah, like yeah. really big curly hair. Yeah, he actually runs Glowfoss. Uh I can't remember his name, Leona Heeman. But there's a few Trevor Likes about. There's mm. an American guy as well that looks exactly like him. Yeah. But like I completely agree with what you say in that like it's really good to get out and go to other gyms and just see how other people train mm. and how they how other people teach as well. And I think like Trev's quite good in fact he's quite relaxed. He 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 won't say, Oh, you're not allowed to go and train here or there. So I know obviously there are some gyms out there that don't like yeah their people to get out and go to different gyms and all that. But for me I think that's the best way to go and learn is to because you're there'll there'll become a point where you're continually sparring the same people and all that, so how are you gonna like learn something yeah. new if you you're... don't go and apply it somewhere to someone that you haven't trained with or something before? And you can pick up different bits, and like Trev doesn't mind us going to different gyms and mm. training, and he's quite open to that. And yeah, you subconsciously like build your game to defend against everyone in your gym, mm. and that's it. And that's like, there are no women my size at my gym, so my game is shutting down small people. And like, if I fought someone like you in a competition, if I didn't go around the country and train with other people, like, I'd be fucked. <laughs> like, someone, someone like you came in and put like all of the top pressure down on me, and like, I would have to start to struggle to figure that out on the fly in competition. Yeah. And getting out there and seeing what else is around. Because, like, the other thing is you don't know if your instructor's teaching method is the best method for you, mm. if that makes sense. Because, like, I've been able to experience a lot of 
different instructors whilst I've been going around the country doing this podcast and just in general visiting other gyms. And like some people aren't very technically focused. They go, you just do this, this and this and then get on with it. And then it's like a rush to sparring. But then other gyms, you have people who are super technical. They're like, you want to get this here. You want to pinch here. You want to do this bit here. And then like that's what I enjoy about it. I like the the technical aspect, and then I just obsess over that nonsense, <laughs> and then get swept when I'm trying to think of the next step. <laughs> so, um, you were training once a week when you started. Yeah. Um, when you moved to, do you live in Shirley? No, so we live in uh, Bulford, so we commute to um, okay. Southampton every day. Yeah, so when I moved over, um, timetables, I was pretty much so out of time doing my MMA. I was training like every day of the week. So, um, yeah, sometimes I would like um, go, because I've been in the military at the time, I'd work, um, I'd take take my training kit with me, would have a few PT sessions at work and then I'd travel straight to Southampton and then by the time I'd finished in Southampton I wasn't getting home till like 10, half 10 at night. Um, and then that kind of became the cycle for the, the, the next four years of continuously training like that. Um, I, I mean, I wasn't having proper rest days. I wasn't allowing myself to like recover properly. It kind of almost became, um, well, I say kind of, it did become an obsession because I wanted to be a full-time athlete, but yeah, I was still in a full-time career. So it kind of just, and a lot of times I didn't see my husband because I was always training and he was away in Afghan and, and yeah, that's just how life became. Yeah. So, When you progressed forward, like one thing I wanted to speak to you about uh, is your chronic fatigue. So, is that something that you've had your entire life, or is it something that's kind of progressed as you move forward? Um, yeah, so it's, it's it's something that's obviously progressed. Um, so I got diagnosed with chronic fatigue. Um, March time of 2017. Um, whether or not I had it for longer than that, uh, it remains unforeseen. Yeah. Um, they they didn't really know. Um, I mean, I got it through glandular fever. Um, and then, yeah, um, that got misdiagnosed, and then as a subsequence of that. Um, I got chronic fatigue mm. um, and then never really kind of recovered from it um, and as a subsequent got medically discharged from the military um, and yeah that, that kind of wasn't a so that went on for two, two, mm. two years and the whole from my point of being diagnosed to being medically discharged and I mean it was a very difficult time because yeah. obviously chronic fatigue, no one really understands it. And yeah. it's still um, uh, this mystery illness that, you know, 
you can't see, so no one understands it. Nobody wants to understand mm. it. It's like um, an invisible disease. Yeah. So and especially for the military, it was a case of they didn't want to. They didn't want to fucking know. They mm. didn't want anything to do with it. Um. So yeah, that was a tough time because I'd obviously gone from this high achiever, um, mm. in the military as well as export into being basically tossed to the curb. Mm. Um. So yeah, it was quite difficult. Um. And there's no cure for chronic fatigue, although mm. some people <laughs> are like, oh, so when are you going to be better? And I'm like, it's not a case of that. It's a case of management, management mm. and pacing correctly. And when I first got diagnosed with it, I mean, I was left four months of, you've got this illness here. Mm. I didn't get any help or support with it. So I kind of became a recluse and was like in my house, afraid to go to shops mm. it's it's a tough thing to do like um i have no experience of it. i don't like really understand it that much like i've spoken to joe about it because i thought that you had fibromyalgia initially and she said no it's it's like that but it's different yeah um and like, it's the trouble with a lot of invisible illnesses. Like, it's fine when someone can see you've got a broken arm because they can diagnose it and actually deal with it. But like, if you're, if you have something like this, you have to rely on your vocabulary to try and describe it to people. Like, I feel like this, this, and this, and like, you're just tired. Rest. And it's like. But that doesn't do anything. <laughs> yeah, that, that was, I got that pretty much, like, when I, when I got diagnosed with it, it was like, oh, well, you know, just just rest and, and you'll be fine. And it's like, trying to explain to people, like, because when I, when I got it, uh, when I first had it, sometimes I couldn't even speak properly without, like, jumbling my words. So... Mm. And like it was quite funny for my husband because he was like, "What you you mean this?" And I'm like, "You know what I meant." Like, but it's just like you get this, just like they call it brain fog, where you yeah. just like I couldn't compute what I was saying, and I'd get very frustrated. Mm. Like, my dad's going through something similar, not uh, chronic fatigue. He has um, uh, cerebral ataxia. So he has like the the same kind of fog. He he slurs his words, he mumbles his words, and like he's like his brain's slowly shutting down essentially. So um, like that's really tough to to watch someone who knows what they want to say, who knows what they want to do, but then it's just like the body's not reacting as you want it to. Yeah. And it's just I don't know, because I've had similar issues with my, my, myself, like, um, through my whole transition, like, you have, I had to be in um, therapy for a year and a half, like, literally saying the same things over and over again to the same people, like, so they go, yes, I will give you this diagnosis now, and then you can go off and do this one thing with that, and it's like, why do I have to fight so hard for people to believe me? Yeah, and that's like when I first got diagnosed that I I struggled a lot with that because people, I felt like I couldn't 
go to the shops without people being like, oh, well, she's on sick leave. Like, she's supposed to be at home. And everyone thought, you know, that mm. I should I should, um, I should, just rest and not go out. And, like, if I went out, I'd get judged for going out. But having chronic fatigue, the, the worst thing is just to sit and do nothing because you're not going to improve mm. um, your, like, what's the word? Circumstance. Yeah, um, like your tolerance yeah you're not going to improve your tolerance by just doing nothing Mm. um and a lot of people were just a lot of people said to me oh it's because you've done too much exercise i think like when i was still on medical my medical leave it was it was crazy because there was people stopped me unit were like well sarah's done this to herself but doing but doing too much exercise and i was like have you ever met anyone who does crossfit (laughs) Well, I do CrossFit, yeah, I, I do CrossFit as well. So that's my strength and condition and stuff. Yeah, I do know a lot of CrossFitters. Um, uh, so, yeah, there were still people at work like, oh, Sarah's done this to herself by doing too much exercise. And I was like, please show me the research that says you get chronic fatigue from yeah. doing too much exercise. Because if that's the case, the whole British Army or everyone that does exercise yeah. would have chronic fatigue. Like, right. no. It has to be up. something that's been triggered by something else. Yeah, and then, like, a lot of people, like, when I got ill, were like, oh, well, you know, you brought it on yourself by training as crazy as you did and and not resting and stuff like that. And it was, that's it bullshit. Was, it was hard because, like, people were trying to say that it wasn't... It basically, they were just trying to lay the blame on yeah. me rather than them take the blame. And, I mean, that's, yeah that was difficult as well um but it's it's one of the issues that i have with um like current culture in general like the why does there always have to be someone to blame like things just happen like um the world was essentially built from chaos so why does there always have to be oh this this and this happened and you're to blame like I work in insurance, so finding people to blame is kind of my deal. <laughs> but sometimes it's just like random things happen and they interact in a really weird way and there's no way to stop it. So how is that your fault? You've done nothing but done the best you could to have like the body and mindset that you needed to do the job that you wanted to do, essentially. And other people were doing the same thing at the same time. So how come it affected you and no one else? Mm. It's like, it's bullshit. <laughs> it's essentially what I'm trying to say. So um, with all of that said, you've obviously left your house now. You're not as reclusive, hopefully. No, no, so yeah. So if that was two years ago and through medical discharge with the military and I finally got medically discharged October um, 2018. Even though um, by that time I was I I was on leave and all that, so I hadn't had any um, like been in work since 2017. So um, yeah, so as I got better, I mean I went to Headley Court twice. I mean like even Headley Court, it was hard because they didn't really understand it either. And then we they touched upon pacing techniques and wow that was very hard to get my head around <laughs> because I went from being so active to being like 
I fall in my shadow of myself, mm. and that frustrated me because I I could always like run before I walked. Mm. Like even as a kid, I was always like running and doing competitions, and I used to run nationally for like and county level cross country and track and field. Um, so yeah, I was always like that type of mindset. Like when I was young, I'd always like go and train like track and athletics, but I'd always train with the guys because that's where I needed to be. If I could be up with yeah. the guys, then I'd be better than when it comes to race day. So yeah. I'd always had that mindset from a, from a young age. So the whole idea of pacing was a very alien technique to me. Yeah. And I got it. Doesn't mean say I practiced it. Yeah. Um, I've been told off quite a few times about that. <laughs> Um, and like I had to write diaries and mm. they'd get me to plan weeks in advance and but then I was trying to explain to them now the guys at Headley Court they were great but I always say to people until you go through something as life-changing mm. as like chronic fatigue or other illnesses and all that you, you, you can pretend to understand but you don't actually understand yeah so they they were getting me to like pace and plan weeks in advance of activities and I would be like well I don't know if I'm going to be able to do that like yeah. I don't know if I'm going to be able to get up the next day yeah. um, so it was like a fight like that and then the whole like would do lectures and sleep hygiene and it would be like oh well, just clean up your sleep hygiene and get eight <laughs> hours sleep and you'll be fine and it's like yeah you don't understand because it doesn't matter how many hours of sleep I can get I can get eight hours I can get 12 hours I can get two hours, I'm still going to be fucked from when I slept to, yeah. so it doesn't, it, it's, I'm going to feel the same. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was annoying as well. And it's just, they tried to understand the best they could, but they, again, it goes back to p- people don't really understand the illness. Yeah. So a lot of it is trial and error. Like, I don't know how I'm going to be until I've done that. And then I'm pretty much in bed the next day or the next week. Mm. Um, and I suppose that's my burden to bear if like if I've got a competition or something like that and I really want to do it you know I'll go and do it but the sacrifice is that I will be in bed for a week or I won't be able to do anything for a week Mm. and some people are like yeah but that's selfish and stuff like that but that's what I want to do yeah like I don't understand people like that. It's like, how is it selfish when it improves your mindset and it gives you something to work towards and something that actually boosts your self-esteem? Because, like, I'm sure that there are people who just kind of recede into the illness where it's like, there's no point in me being active. There's no point in me going out and doing all these things because I'm just going to be tired again tomorrow. So it's very easy to fall into, uh, say, like a habit of like um, just staying in bed and not doing anything. And that's like when I first got ill as well. I think for the first probably year of my illness, I did fall into that habit because mm. it was like it was bad because I'd obviously got um, my illness, then I got diagnosed um, with adjustment disorder as well and then along with chronic fatigue comes a whole host of mental health issues as well and then but and then people start saying well maybe you're just tired because you're depressed well no 
that's not the case. Um, but yeah, there would be times where I wouldn't be able to physically have to get out of bed and do stuff. So, and then that upset me because like, well, I can't even take the dogs for a walk. I can't even do this. Like, mm. my husband would have to do all the chores because I couldn't do any, and that made me obviously feel guilty. And then I couldn't go and train. And then I just got in this circle of just yeah. Yeah, it it produces a negative self-talk yeah. that forces you to kind of just relive all of the things that you used to do. Which annoyed me because yeah. I was such like a an active an active person. person and I was like really motivated and I'd like listen to all these like uh, my husband finds it a bit cringe, but I like to listen to motivational speeches, like <laughs> <laughs> and uh, like stuff like that. And then I'd gone from that to just I wasn't determined. I wasn't like how I used to be, and I was just like, oh, like this isn't who I want to be. Yeah. So, um, was it your time at? Is it? Do you say Hadley Court? Hadley Court. Yeah. yeah. Was it your time at Headley Court that like kind of prompted you to go uh, back into like the world into fitness or, um, or was it something else that you just said you know what fuck it no, I don't like it, it was pr- pretty much not Headley Court it was just like so I just didn't like the fact of this person who had kind of taken over me and it wasn't the person that I knew but then. I haven't gone back to being the person that I was because that wasn't healthy either, mm. like obsessing over stuff. So I'm kind of like found a new version of myself. But I knew that I wanted to get back to my sport because mm. I've, I've always done sport from a young age and um, not doing anything. I, I don't know, it's like I want to be like make something of, of myself. Mm. So that prompted me to be like, I'm not gonna quit. Yeah. Like I will get back there. Um, and you really have. <laughs> like, yeah. Um. <laughs> I mean, it's quite cringe because. Um, so I kept, I won the world, the Europeans, um, this year in January. Mm. But up until that, um, before I got ill, I got bronze at the Europeans. And I carried that bronze medal with me in my training kit bag the whole entire time I was ill. Mm. And I'd look at it and be like, that's going to be a gold. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So, um, I did want to talk to you about your... uh, Your stint at the Europeans, because that's also you. You were um, promoted on the podium, is that right? Oh no, I wasn't promoted on the podium. Like uh, I was promoted. Well, it was really weird. Um, yeah, so <laughs> my coach promoted me. Um, not on the podium, but at the Europeans. Europe. Yeah, yeah. So after you won the yeah, gold in your division. Yeah, after I won my division. Yeah. Um, you didn't just you smashed your division. Oh uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> And uh, yeah, I done the absolute as well. But again, like that was a trial to see if I could last throughout the day mm. to even compete in the absolute. Because I didn't know how my fatigue would be. Mm. I got through two fights and I was pretty much fucked. Um, 
but and then came up against a girl who was very technical and shut me down mm. and uh, I was like yeah, okay uh, fair play to you um, <laughs> and I, I, I didn't do well at the absolutes but the fact that I gave it a go and that my fatigue held off up until then mm. was good and then yeah the next day no it was the day after that yeah Trevor promoted me to purple belt and then it was at that point that I was like I thought fuck there's yeah. no one for me to fight purple belt <laughs> So, Why would you do this to me? Yeah. I was like, damn it. Um, yeah, but even before that, when I went to the World No Keys, before the Europeans, I knew that if I wanted to do well, I had to go abroad and compete more. Yeah. It's nothing against the girls in the UK that fight. It's just, like, it's not enough. you want to be the best, you have to go and fight the best. And unfortunately, the best is America, abroad. Um, yeah. So. And, like... It's the same with like kind of everything. You don't know where you sit in the hierarchy until you test yourself against those people. Yeah. So like when you're going to worlds and you're going to Europeans, you're literally fighting the best people in your weight class, in your belt category, in the world, because that's where everyone goes to test themselves. So how did you prepare for the Euros knowing that you were um, like you're going to experience like your fatigue and everything whilst you were out there did, did, um, so training training wise um, it's not as bad as it was before I got ill not as obsessive mm-hmm. um, but I know that I can't train like my training has to be more quality over quantity yeah. so I just made sure that the days that I was doing jiu it was the best fucking jiu-jitsu that I've done. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> not just yeah, but um, and I'd still I'd still do like my CrossFit, my strength and conditioning, but it's not as intense. Mm. Um, only recently I've got back into running. So the hardest part was just losing the weight to mm. get back to a category that I wanted to get to because with all my medication that I was on, I think I went up to like. That's 87 kilos. Yeah. So, and I, I knew that I wanted to fight at heavy division. I didn't want to fight super heavy. Um, so I, I just have to, I made the decision to come off all my medication, which took a lot of time to come out of the system. Mm. Um, and just made sure that I did take recovery days and I did rest and that it was okay to miss a session. Whereas yeah. before I got ill. I would, I would be like, if someone said rest to me before I got ill, I'd be like, rest? What's a rest? Like, I'd, I'd go for a re- active recovery run on a rest day, and then that would turn into a 90% run. And then I'd be like, oh, well, that wasn't a rest. And then I'd have no rest. So, yeah. And then I'd feel guilty if, like, I didn't do anything. Mm. So I'd do something. Whereas now I'm just like, Actually, yeah, I'm I'm feeling pretty shit today. I'm, I'm gonna have a rest. I'm gonna do nothing. I'm gonna mm. lounge in bed, or I'm gonna. That's my day tomorrow. Or... <laughs> <laughs> like, um, sorry, I can't get over the active recovery run. <laughs> <laughs> I never heard those words in that order before. <laughs> like, I'm tired. I think I'm just gonna run a five k. It's fine. <laughs> Um, but like, um, so obviously you had 
a con- an extended period of time out of the sport when you were in, uh, initially like uh, discharged and stuff. So, did you change your approach uh, like kind of immediately when you were getting back in, or was it more like testing the waters and so um, easing yourself back in essentially? I never truly left jiu-jitsu when I was diagnosed. Mm. Um, I just didn't compete as much, so dropped off the competition circuit for about a year. And in the first year where I got diagnosed with chronic fatigue, I, um, because where I trained with Trevor and all that, very active competition, mm. and it was wasn't it didn't feel right for me like training and all that and I needed to be somewhere where I didn't have that memory of mm. this is what you used to do and you're not doing it anymore so I felt like I needed to go and train at a different club and train more with people that weren't as active and I thought that going to a normal female uh, mm. uh, club class would benefit me um, But because I'd always been surrounded by guys and trained with guys, I didn't feel like I got on. Uh, I got on with all the girls, like yeah. loved them to bits and all that. But I just, at the time, it was right, and then it became wrong. <laughs> and then that's the time when I decided to come back and train at Traps because at that point it was like, actually, I yeah. want. I'm at that stage where I want to compete again. Yeah. Um. So. And then, and yeah, and, and it was quite good because he welcomed me back with um, open arms. I, I mean, I've never really, I've let, obviously left the gym and stuff like that, but my husband Mike was still training under Trev anyway, so it's not as if like I mm. just cut all contact and that was that, um, because I still saw him because he was yeah. my husband's coach anyway. So I just had a different coach because I felt at the time I needed a different coach and I thought there'd be more understanding, but in hindsight, the grass isn't always greener on the other side. Yeah, I, I get that. <laughs> but like, um, so at the moment, I'm coming back from 10, 11 months out of jiu-jitsu completely where I've been recovering from surgery. And like, literally just trying to spar at the end of classes is killing me because I fell into every single trap that I could have. Like, my recovery from surgery was fine. And then I went back to work and piling on stress on top of the depression and anxiety that came with all of this other stuff. Like like yourself, I I ballooned up to over 100 kilos and I'm, now I'm paying for it because I've got one good round in me. <laughs> and then it's like, now I'm going to fight white belts and I'm going to just see if I can keep them at bay. And I get smashed all the time. But like... I'm trying to build up my stamina again and like this is why I'm asking you all these questions about how you got back into it your fatigue is like did you do anything differently is there anything that I'm doing wrong no um so yeah like I can't remember where I was going my questions are dry now (laughs) so you've um you got your gold at the euros and then, when was it? it? It wasn't that long ago that you also, did you take silver at pants? Yeah, yeah, so um, after Euros, so obviously with my chronic fatigue, 
I have to be picky about what events that I do. And I know that, whereas before when I was white and blue, I was just doing every competition mm. known to man and dog, like on the comp circuit in the UK. Um, but I, did, yeah, I made the decision when I came, when I made my comp up, that was at the World No Geeks, that if I want to be good and get somewhere in the sport, I have to travel and I can't spend or waste my energy on local competitions mm. when I need to be out competing at big ones. So yeah, I done the Europeans and then um, entered the UAE British Nationals. Just that was my first competition at Purple Belt, just to test the waters yeah. before I went to the pans. And and then I, I went out to the pans. Um, Trev was supposed to come out with me, but his visa got declined. Um, so my little brother came out with me, um, which was good because he got holiday as well. But like the girls in my division and at the pans, even though I fought masters, like mm. they weren't a joke. They I Google like I never Google any of yeah. the pans or look them up. But I, for some reason I looked them all up, and they were all world medalists at like either blue or purple. So they weren't like they weren't. It wasn't a joke. It was. Mm. They were tough opponents. Although there wasn't many in my division, I mean, it's quality, right? It's not quality. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I had my first fight against some girl from Atos, um, which even the name, when you can't forget someone <laughs> from Atos Jiu-Jitsu, you're like, fuck, I did good. But no, yeah, uh, I got through that and managed to win. And then mm. I faced uh, this Brazilian chick in the final. Um, and... It was good. I didn't win. I got silver and lost mm. to Luke Choke that I saw coming because my husband does it to me all the time. <laughs> um, but I mean, I was just pleased that I got to this to the final. Um, that was an achievement in even itself. But the thing, even, like at that point, you'd been a purple belt for what? <laughs> a few Three months. months. Yeah. And like being able to go onto what is essentially the world stage and not just go there, but yeah, at least you got a win, and then you lost to um like like you say like world champions <laughs> at their belt level. So like it's not like you're not able to hang out at that level because you obviously can. Yeah, I mean it's it's like over the course of my illness and stuff like that. I just like when I have big competitions coming up, I'm just like. Oh, I'm doing really shit in training, like everything goes wrong in the build up to the week. But then I just have to think like, no, you just have to trust your jiu-jitsu and that mm. is good and that you deserve to be out on that world stage just as much as anyone else. Like there's no reason why you can't go out there and compete. Um and, and that's what I just do, I just go out and just mm, try my best and that's all anyone can can well, give yeah. is just their best. Um, even getting out to that stage, like it annoys me when people are like, oh, but how many people in your category? And, oh, oh, but you're in masters, and it doesn't matter. Like just going out there and having the guts to partake in a world level like that is, is there good even, enough in itself. There are even still people out there. If you took home like the the world gold, like they'd be like, yeah, but it's in the women's division. That's like you can fuck off. <laughs> you can fuck right off of all of that bullshit. Like, what do you have to do to prove that you're talented enough to, to be um, 
how, like you were saying before, that your um, your competition career, like uh, white and blue, you were very obsessive and keen to like compete and all of this. How have you found your your mindset change with regards to how you approach a competition now? as to how you approach it before. Do you find yourself relaxing in um, at competition, not putting as much pressure on yourself, or do you still go in with the same kind of mentality on the day um, to the competition? I never used to... If I lose now, it's just like, yeah, no, yeah. that's okay, it's okay to lose. Like, you don't have to win everything whereas before yeah when I was white and blue I was like I have to win everything I have to like prove that I'm good whereas now it's just like you, you don't like you you either win or you learn like yeah. at the British Nationals um I got absolutely schooled by an 18 year old purple belt she was fucking good she was a ninja and I knew it was coming in Marina as well like mm. they give so much pressure for being so little like they're, <laughs> they're just so little and they're like just I'm being crushed by him, but like I have respect for him because it's like, you know, you can't be good at everything, and if you mm. lose, then you shouldn't beat yourself up about it. You should just be like, okay, well, my jiu-jitsu wasn't good that day, and their jiu-jitsu was better. It's yeah. just you just go away and you think, okay, well, I need to improve on that, and that isn't a negative thing. That's just everyone's not going to be good at everything. Mm. It's one of the things that I enjoy a lot about jiu-jitsu in general. In, in that, like, you, once you do get the people who, like, I suppose when you got your purple belt, um, it might not be relevant for you, now that I think about it, if you're, like, choosing with your sparring partners and stuff, but, like, the, the target on your back gets bigger because people want to attack you. Like, if you come back from, like, pans and Europeans and you're, like, oh, yeah. you're a champion and people are like, oh, well, if I attack you, then I become those things. Like, no, you don't. Yeah, <laughs> so... Funny you say that because I am quite cheesy with my smart partners. <laughs> yeah, like not to be. It has to be. Yeah, not to be a dick about it or anything. But like I know that if I'm if I'm like got a competition coming up and I've paid all that money because you know I'm not sponsored. I do mm. fund myself to go and do jiu-jitsu. Um, but. I know that I need to spar people that I've been sparring with throughout that are gonna push me, that aren't gonna injure me. And mm. likewise with the with getting my purple belt and like winning all these competitions, like I was saying not so long ago to one of my training partners, like some newbie could walk into the gym and you could say to them, Oh, Sarah's like one silver at pounds, she's European champion and they could spar with me and they could tap me out and then they'd probably walk out the gym thinking the fuck? Are they lying or something like that? And I'm just like, if someone taps me out that's a lower belt than me in training, fair play to them, because it means that they've learned something. Yeah. They're improving on what they're being taught. Mm. Like, I don't... It, and it always bugs me when people, like, do ask to spar with me, and they spar hard, because they want to prove a point. Yeah. Like, whatever, you're just a dick if you do that. Um, and, yeah, I do feel like you are expected to know a lot more, but mm. <laughs> I, I still rely on my husband massively <laughs> talking about the techniques. Um, I'm just not that, that 
I have to be guided through stuff mm. before I can get it. And I think that has a lot to do with like obviously my illness as well, where my brain just gets confused over stuff. So yeah. I'm not the most technically gifted. gifted person, but I mean, I just try and make up for that in dedication mm. and and other things. Yeah. Um. But yeah. So. Yeah, the target definitely becomes bigger and it is annoying having to be like, oh, okay, you want to roll, mm. I'll start off light and then they're just going 100% and I'm like, oh, here we go again. <laughs> <laughs> but like, um, so I'm kind of in the same place in that I, I'm not choosy with my training partners, but I tap very early to most things. Um, so if someone's going super hard on me, like I have no issues with just tapping and going, yeah, I'm going to go sit out. Like, um, I think you have to be um, mm-hmm. in this position because, like, even now I get people who, who say things like, oh, well, you've got a blue belt, so you're obviously really good. I'm like, no, like I'm still done, just like you are. And like coming back from injury and having to go through all of this recovery stuff. Um, some of the people that I haven't trained with before will come and train with me and they'll be a bit hard and tough and I'll try and like weather the storm but if they start to hurt me I'm just going to tap out and it's like I'm never going to use my A game in the gym I'm in the gym when I'm sparring I want to like drill what we've done in class I want to try things out mm. like for white belts and like some of the beginners, I'll give up positions because I want them to experience what it's like to be on top. I'm not gonna go and fucking smash every single white belt. So yeah, yeah, I'm a blue belt, so everyone needs to shut up and fuck off. Like, how 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 is anyone going to learn from that? Like, sparring it in your like individual classes should always be about getting something from it. It's not a competition. So I, I I really don't understand the mindset of, oh, I'm going to spar with this person and then I'm going to be like a champion. I wonder if they'll give me a medal. Like, <laughs> that's not what happens in the gym. Or you get, because like, um, we do have another girl in the class, but she's super, like, really light. So mm. it's annoying as well because the guys look at you and think, oh, well, you're the same size as me. I'm going to go super hard on you. But like women's pressure compared to like, men's not pressure but like weight distribution and stuff mm. like that is a lot different so mm-hmm. i have constantly been brought up to just survive being beaten up by the bigger guys yeah. and it is annoying sometimes because i'm just like dude can you not put all your weight on me mm. and they're like oh I'm, I'm really sorry but then they like look at you all confused because you look the same size as them and they're like oh well i thought you'd handle yourself no no it is a different physiology it's weird um but like i I don't understand what that expectation is about like it goes with your belt it goes with your size and all of this it's like why are you treating me like i'm not a person (laughs) like first and foremost like would you do this to your well you probably would do it to your best mate but like, would you do it to a, like a regular guy that you just met off the street? Like, would you go super hard for no reason? Like, no. So why do it to me? Like, you've got no respect. That's the problem. No respect. <laughs> oh, I need to keep shifting my position because my feet keep going numb and dying. <laughs> so 
So, um, you have, do you say is the UAE coming up? Yeah, so we've got the UAE um, Worlds in Abu Dhabi. Uh, yeah, doing, they've actually. This is the. I think it's the first year that they're doing the Masters Worlds. Mm. Yeah, so I went that. Um, and that is on Tuesday. So fly out on Sunday, um, which is tomorrow. Get there mm, really early Monday morning, <laughs> and then weigh in 4 p.m. But to me, like even if I don't, there's even if I don't do well out there. Just getting back to a weight mm. um, and shifting that weight has been an achievement in itself because it's something that I've had to, well, I say dedicate myself to. Like, my husband would differ more. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> would have to differ on that one. Um, it's, yeah, like sorting my nutrition and coming off all my meds and stuff like that has been something that I've had to deal with as well. So, even getting to 70 kilos is. Mm good enough for me um, and thankfully that's the day before weighing without the on so <laughs> that good yeah <laughs> that's what that's what I like about the UAE although I'm not a fan of their 20 kilo weight gap for women's yeah. categories I definitely do feel that they should maybe have an 80 kilo bracket yeah because um I mean I was at a competition recently and there was a guy that refs for the UAE and he was like oh no, no, there won't be people, like girls interested, and I was like, no, there honestly will be, why not, because from 62 to 70, that's like a 9, 10 kilo yeah. for the women, but then it jumps from 70 to 90, like, why is there a 20 kilo gap, what, how is that fair, but then you look at the guys' categories, and they're all nice and easy, <laughs> the women's side still trying to catch up, Yeah. Um, so def- yeah, I definitely feel that there should be more like section weight categories like 70 kilos and then maybe like a 75 or an 80 mm. they'd definitely get more girls and yeah yeah um it would definitely the one thing i don't understand about it all is like why not just offer them and then combine like if if there aren't enough people in the brackets just combine the brackets yeah so like, the, the good thing about the ue that i like compared to the ibjjf is that you weigh in mm. If you don't make 70, they just bump you up to the 90 kilo bracket. Yeah. They don't disqualify you. Whereas if you weigh in at uh, IBJF and you overweigh it, you just get straight up DQ. Um, at least you are hit. At least the UAE uh, offer you something else. Yeah, offer you something else. You've paid a lot of money to go that way. They're not going to DQ you. Whereas <laughs> IBJF, like if I rocked up to the pants and I was overweight, I'd get DQ. Wouldn't even get a chance to make weight. Yeah. Um. You want, you only get one chance to weigh in. Yeah. It's insane. Like I've um I competed at Euros once. Uh, it was my it was my third competition ever, <laughs> and I don't know why I chose that one because <laughs> it was really stressful. But um like every single IBJJF competition I've been in, like I've only been able to fight at like three of them, and I've just picked up automatic gold on two of them. Like they don't do anything like combining the brackets or anything my first competition for the ibjjf at bluebell i won my division i went to do the um absolute but there was seven hours between my division and the absolute mm-hmm. so we had a stacked absolute where it was like eight women and you had four on one side and four on the other and 
in that seven hours, the three people on my side decided to go home because they didn't want to wait. And then rather than put me on that side, they just went, oh no, you fight the winner of this bracket. I was like, what? So I just go straight to the final. Mm. I don't even get the fight. It's weird how they work brackets. It's very questionable, but... Mm. Um, and then, yeah, so I, I like the, the UAE in general in terms of like organisation, so I think that's quite good. Mm. It, like, I've never been to any of their competitions, like, at all, even the, the London ones and the, the trials and yeah, stuff. just on a different level. Like, the London one was my first... Well, I say first, I've done the British Nationals, but the British Nationals is nothing compared to the the um, pro ones that they do. Mm. And uh, <laughs> it was quite funny because I done day before weighing, even though I was fighting a <laughs> 90 kilo bracket. Yeah. <laughs> Jiu-Jitsu people can't cut weight. <laughs> I saw one guy being propped up on the scales. It was bad. Um, but then the setup that they had on on the weigh-ins and on the day was really good and I've heard good things about Abu Dhabi in terms well because the jiu-jitsu is their sport out there they've created a special like sports dome specifically for jiu-jitsu yeah and so yeah I'm looking forward to seeing how that is and and that um but I I know that the UAE is going to be tough like I can't leave it to ref's decision Mm. or even like advantages because it'll be hard to get advantages so i know i need to like first fight treat it like it's survival yeah <clears throat> excuse me so um other than the uae like are there any other competitions this year that you want to get out to or are you just um, yeah so play it by it? I think after the UAE I'm going to have a bit of a break just because it has been quite hectic since January um yeah it's like well six before months January. of <laughs> training um and then I really want to get out to the world masters in Vegas but it's just so expensive so yeah we'll see how funding goes to that side um and uh, that would be a good one to get out to do the Worlds um, in August at the World Masters. Other than that, I haven't really thought, thought past August time what I want to do. Um, again, it's just like funding and just trying to mm. get out to places and, and that. That's cool. Um, something that I like asking other people about is... Um, like kind of the like whether or not you have like inspirations in jiu-jitsu like do you see some of like the female competitors out there that you're like I really like how they play their game and like do you follow certain uh, fighters or I'm like complete uh, just I don't follow anyone in particular like I mean, what, even when I fought MMA and my husband was like, oh, this MMA fighter and this on the UFC, and I'm like, uh, I don't know who they are. But <laughs> you fight MMA and you don't know who people are. But that's the same in jiu-jitsu. Like, yeah, I do jiu-jitsu and I go to all these competitions, but I'm just like, someone said to me, oh, this person, I'm like, who? Um, I do follow Fionn, though. Um, mm. Yeah, she's pretty cool. Uh, um, I love Fionn. Yeah, she's, she's <laughs> super funny. I just like her personality. 
her recent Instagram posts have been quite funny. Um, uh, no, but I think, yeah, so she's, she's probably one of the few that I do follow in mm. terms of, um, I do like her game, mm. um, pressure and, and that, um, and also like where she's come from up until like where she is now has been pretty good. Mm. Um, so yeah, I, I follow her, um, but other than that I don't really follow that many people. Fair enough. <laughs> you don't need to. Um, so you've been in the sport for six, seven years? Um, 14. Yeah, about five, six years maybe? Yeah. I think. So like, um, how, how have you seen the sport grow um, with regards to women in the sport? Like, since you started like admittedly it's kind of taken off a bit more in the past two three years yeah so when i first started like i think when i first started the level of women that were competing was more then than it is now and mm. um, and I, I don't know what it is but i mean i went through um white and blue belt of having like all of these girls um that we, we basically went from white to blue together yeah. um, and we always competed with each other and like I understand life gets in the way and people have other stuff and um, but out of like that group of people I started with there's only a few of us that are still really competing and that are on the competition circuit and I'm, I'm hoping f- more of them will come back but yeah when I first started like the, there was a lot more girls competing than there are now um, and you know competing's not for everyone not everyone likes to compete you have to have you have to be a certain personality type or or that to want to compete mm. um, and dedicate yourself to competing so yeah I get that it's tough and it's not everyone's cup of tea but even like the retention level of just having girls training in classes has dropped off and I, I don't understand I don't understand why I didn't don't know why but I mean yeah it's just hopefully it will start to build up again and the likes of like Fionn doing her seminars and like other um, jiu-jitsu girls just helping more girls be involved in the sport that will start like building yeah levels and that back up but because like at the minute I think the UK's in a really strong position because it's attracting really good talent and like you have so many great jiu-jitsu women around the country um not just like focused in <clears throat> london or the south like you have people up and down the country mm. that can actually go through all of these things with you and like um Tayani's just moved over so she's now um fighting through well she's teaching at Gracie Bar and I think it's Fulham. Mm-hmm. So it's like the country's in a good place. So I'm I'm conf- I'm confused why there aren't more women. I just think it's like, Yeah. Again, I think it's just down to like the drive. The drive. Not like everyone want but people just want to do it as fitness maybe. Like retention level is hard. It's hard to like 
Yeah, what people don't just want to commit to something. Mm. So what is it that you think, like I had my own ideas on like why retention so hard is for women in the sport, but like is there anything that you see that kind of is a barrier for women in the sport, like just to continue training like however they want to train? Um, it's hard because I obviously, um, like I said previously, I've always been around guys, training with guys and in male-dominated environments. So it's hard for me to have an opinion on what barriers specifically for girls, I think, in the sport would come across. But, I mean, sometimes, like, I, it's quite a debated topic. Um, obviously, I don't want to offend anyone. But, like, maybe, <laughs> maybe people are just put off because, you know, I mean, the whole having women's classes and then, mm. oh no, we shouldn't have women's classes because it's wrong to have women's classes, we should mix and stuff like that. Um, it's good to have women's classes because it means that you can like spar women mm. that, uh, and you're going to be able to get a feel for what it's like to spar women in when it comes to competing. But then obviously it's good to train with guys as well, but I get that women don't necessarily want to train with guys and like cultural reasons like mm. whatever um so yeah i just don't really know what it, it's it's it would be hard to to say what the barriers are mm. without going too in detail and <laughs> yeah like with regards to women's classes i find that they're like they're really good as an introduction to the sport because like I remember my first competition and watching like going to warm up in the warm up area where it was mixed and like guys were really intense and like doing burpees or rolling really hard on like there's three mats that have been laid out so no one else could do anything and it's just like it can be intimidating for women to enter into that environment so going into a women only environment and then possibly going into uh, mixed classes afterwards once you have an introduction and you kind of because like personally I, I, I believe the first hurdle in getting people into jiu-jitsu in the first place is the um, the personal space yeah because I know a lot of women struggle with that because it's very personal <laughs> personal yeah <laughs> and like um if that's one, if there's one thing that women tend to value, it is their personal space because you kind of fight for it all the time. Yeah. So actually, actively letting someone into that who you know is not trying to harm you, but they have um, oh, what is it? Well, they're trying to strangle you. They're trying to do something. Actively engaging in that is a bit more difficult to wrap your head around, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Because you're the only one who can speak verbal diarrhea. That's that's all on me as well. <laughs> I like going around the houses for my points too. <laughs> um, I think that's most of my questions. Is there anything else that like like if you could if you give one piece of advice to either the women that are currently in Brazilian Jiu Jitsu or words of encouragement to people thinking about starting, what would it be? I think it would probably be just to like 
even if you're having a bad day where you think, oh, you're doing terrible, or oh, this isn't working, or that isn't working, just stick through it. Mm. Because eventually you'll get to a point where you understand it and you can do the technique with your eyes closed or you feel more confident with stuff. Mm. And don't allow yourself to like get into the habit of feeling like you're doing shit so you should just quit like some progress is better than no progress and mm. you should just yeah it's it's jiu-jitsu is a personal journey so you shouldn't compare yourself to other people or try and race to be the same as someone else it's mm. just go at your pace your speed and you know you you will get that Mm. Excellent. Right. Well, I'm gonna stop now because I'm gonna get emotional. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much for speaking to me. It's been absolutely awesome. And there you have it, guys. I really hope you enjoyed the podcast. It was really nice sitting down to speak to Sarah. I know that the conversation wasn't uh, easy for her, so I can't thank her enough for sitting down and giving me the time to go through um, all of that with her. As I posted on the Facebook page the other day, there is a number of people that I would like to speak to for this podcast and I am trying to arrange something for the next uh, six to eight weeks. Um, I don't know how often I'm going to be able to put these out, but I'm hoping that they become more regular than once every two or three months. Um, So yeah, until next time, I really hope you enjoyed. And yeah, keep training.